0: I think really the most important that I've noticed is the way that presidents have embraced technology. And FDR, of course, with the fireside chats, he, he realized fairly soon the power that the new medium of radio would have. He could literally speak to every single American at the same time. I mean, this is just a radical, yeah. radical departure from what the presidency in been.
1: Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead, it prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Matthew Algio. Matthew is an award-winning journalist and author. His latest book, When Harry Met Pablo, Truman, Picasso, and the Cold War Politics of Modern Art will be released on November 14th. And I have to say, it's a great read. I'm lucky to have gotten an advanced copy. We're going to talk a lot about it. Matthew is also the author of six other books, including Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure, The True Story of a Great American Road Trip, which was named one of the best books of 2009 by the Washington Post. Also an incredible read. I have found in reading Matthew's books that he specializes in expanding on small moments to tell a much bigger story. Perhaps his vocational experience influenced this. In addition to reporting and writing, Matthew has held jobs as a convenience store clerk, a gas station attendant, a Halloween costume salesman, and a proofreader. He also worked at a traveling circus as a hot dog vendor. Matthew holds a degree in folklore from the University of Pennsylvania, He's been named a chief influencer because of his ability to tell engaging stories that connect with so many people. And much of his writing has been about presidents or influencers in chief, if you will. So Matthew, welcome to Chief Influencer.
0: Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here.
1: I am so thrilled to talk to you because as you know, I'm an avid reader of your books and you just have such an incredible way of telling stories that engage the reader. So thank you for doing that. I want to just start with your latest book, When Harry Met Pablo. Um, It explains why two very different men were pictured shaking hands in front of Picasso's studio in the south of France. And I wonder if you can tell us, what does it say about Harry Truman that he was willing to meet with Pablo Picasso?
0: I like to say that uh, Harry Truman hated modern art and the only thing he hated more than modern art was communists. And uh, of course, Picasso was the avatar of modern art and communism in this, uh, in this period of history. We're talking 1958 when Harry uh, went on a trip to, uh, to France, to Europe, and, uh, and met Picasso. I-, I was thinking about this very recently when President Biden went to Florida uh, after uh, the hurricane recently, and uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who of course is running for president, declined to meet. Uh, with President Biden. And it, it said something to me, um, I guess, a little bit maybe about the character of the governor in that situation, because Harry was not afraid to people to meet with people uh, whose opinions he didn't agree with, whose viewpoints he opposed, whose politics uh, he differed with. and in in every respect, uh, Picasso uh, ticked all those boxes. Uh, but Harry was intensely curious. Um, I think he was interested in modern art as a, you know, as a cultural phenomenon, even if he didn't enjoy looking at the pictures that came out of modern art for the most part. And and I think he was also very diplomatic. I mean, um, you know, he, he understood, uh, the, you know, the implications, the look, you know, there's a, a photograph, it's on the cover of the book of Harry, uh, shaking hands, right. With, uh, with Pablo Picasso. And, uh, just that picture alone um, kind of sent a signal. This whole trip was organized really behind the scenes by Alfred Barr, who was the founding director of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And as I get into in the book, modern art was a very political thing in the, in the mid, mid-20th mid century. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people on the right side of the uh, political spectrum, uh, philosophically that is, uh, opposed modern art. Uh, they linked it uh, with communism. And uh, for that reason, mainly they, they uh, wanted to keep it out of American museums. Harry opposed modern art, but he opposed efforts to censor modern art. so that was a clear distinction that Harry made. He just because he didn't like it, uh, didn't mean it, it shouldn't be. And so by meeting Picasso, he was really sending a signal, I think, to uh, people back home who opposed modern art to say, "Look, it's not evil. Um, we can we can work with you know we are." we can meet with these people we can they're they're not evil this is not an evil thing and so the symbolism of that picture so i think it says a few things about harry that he was willing to meet with picasso really his curiosity and uh, also his his keen political sense i thought it was um you know i i thought it was a pretty smart move by by harry to do that
1: you know for me reading the book i just i didn't realize how political modern art was my my lack of education there. And so it was a really fascinating story. And for folks who um, you know, maybe aren't as familiar, I just want to just read kind of a, a snippet about the book. Truman and Picasso were contemporaries and were both shaped by and shapers of the great events of the 20th century, the man who painted Guernica and the man who authorized the use of atomic bombs against civilians. Picasso was a communist and probably the only thing Harry Truman hated more than communists was modern art. As you said already, Picasso was an indifferent father, a womanizer and a millionaire. Truman was utterly devoted to his family. And despite his fame, far from a rich man. So really they were so different (laughs) from one another. Um, Can you talk a little bit about just the, um, where this all came from for you? Like, how did this, how did you get inspired to tell this story? And you go into such meticulous detail. I mean, I love <laughs> like, that menu of the ocean liner that they took across the, you know, I mean, you <laughs> talking to family members and um, wh- where did this inspiration as an author, <laughs> did you find it?
0: Yeah, there, uh, there is not a fact I left out. I, I think it's just a uh, it's hard sometimes when you find those things to, uh, uh, to keep them out, uh, the story, and I don't know where they really touched on it a little bit in the introduction, but it's, it's this one of the stories I like because it's a small story involving very big people. And I think you find out a lot about, uh, people by the way they're behaving in small moments, more so even than in big moments. Now, this, this this photo that's on the cover is something that pops up from time to time on uh, Harry Truman themed uh, social media accounts, that sort of thing. So, I kind of a, had always known this had happened. It happened after he was president. We should point that out. This is 1958. He left the White House in 53. Um, but it, the, the the incongruity of that picture of Truman and Picasso. And again, uh, like in that little excerpt, you read that they're two kind of towering figures of of the... 20th century, um, but we just don't see them in the same sentence very often. So I was very curious about the background of this visit, how it came about. And I was lucky in that there are papers in the Truman Library and also at the Museum of Modern Art that detailed in a, kind of the negotiations that went on behind the scenes to get Truman and Picasso to meet up. Uh, Alfred Barr was the founding director of the Museum of Modern Art in New York, Museum of Modern Art was really born out of the early 20th century modern art movement after it came to the U.S. Like in 1913, the Armory Show is what people sort of trace the beginning of modern art to. Um, so he 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 was a very influential figure in modern art, but he was very politically astute. I mean, this is a guy who was able to raise a lot of money for a very controversial thing at the time, you know, um, and, and he, he saw there was a political uh, something to be gained by having Truman and, and Picasso meet for this. So he's kind of the third figure in this triangle. He's coordinating these two men, trying to get them to meet up, kind of playing them very, very nicely against each other. I, I think I say in the book, he sort of made it look like he, he, he let each of them think that the other one was eager to meet him. <laughs> and, uh, and so they both each thought the other one really wanted to meet him. So that that's kind of how he finessed it. Um, but it really worked out nicely in the end. And, and like I said, it, it, it's the kind of little thing, you know, Truman actually liked Picasso. I don't think we're going to, you know, give too much of the ending away here, but they actually got along, uh, fairly well. I think, uh, Truman had a very good attitude, uh, you know, about uh, going into this, you know, he, uh, at, at one point, I think, uh, the, you know, his wife said, well, maybe Harry shouldn't do this because he hates modern art so much. And Harry objected, said, no, 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 I, he's a very, Famous influential person, I would like to meet him. Um, so again, by this small episode, you get something of the character of these huge figures, you know, from the twentieth century. But he distinct he
1: distinguishes between the man and his work because when um, he was asked to put in a good word for Picasso to paint a mural at.
0: Um, Roosevelt yeah, College. At Roosevelt University in Chicago, yeah. Yeah, what was his response? His, uh, uh, he's one of my favorite figures uh, in the book. Um, it was a professor at Roosevelt University who met up with Harry and said, oh, I heard you are going to Paris. Can you get uh, Picasso to do a mural for us here? And uh, after the, he, he sent information and Harry was uh, uh, not able to uh, bring the, broach the subject with Picasso, but afterwards uh, he sent a letter saying, I don't know why you want to get some french communist caricaturist to do a to do a mural for a university named after franklin roosevelt when you can get a good american artist to do it yeah i don't think i don't think uh, picasso changed truman's mind but that wasn't the point of the trip we weren't trying to change anybody's mind here i think what we were trying to do is just show that people who had two very different attitudes and viewpoints uh you know could spend time together in, in in a very sociable and friendly way
1: Many stories are centered around a big seminal moment in history, and your approach to storytelling often centers around you know, a small or obscure moment that people may not even be aware of. Um, and you crack it open to reveal much more. It's it's very effective, obviously, and your 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 books have, have gotten such great reviews and and uh, positive feedback. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about where that inspiration comes from as an influencer yourself that, you know, you want people to to understand mm-hmm. history um, right. and you use those different entry points. I would say, I think um, your book, for example, Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure, you know, it is um, just, it's so much more accessible for someone to learn about President Truman through that book than one of the giant, you know, seminal biographies, which are also great, but it just, you know, you're you're reaching a different audience. And I think this idea of influencing people in a way that is actually accessible, that they will like, I mean, even just the nod, both of these books nod to a movie title in the, in, <laughs> you know, in the title that just make them kind of have a little bit of whimsy to them that way. So anyway, i just love if you could talk a little bit about that, that approach that you take and you know, maybe if you want you can share the inspiration behind the um, excellent adventure book as well.
0: Sure. Uh, one thing is that it has a practical benefit, which is uh, most of the big stories have been told many, many times. Uh, you know, the the birth to death biographies. Um, you know, the eight hundred page tomes, and usually within those there are smaller stories. And when you have people whose lives were as eventful as. Harry Truman's as Pablo Picasso's. You, you have these smaller events in their lives that often get overlooked. Uh, rightfully so. I mean, when you think of Truman and his life and and his presidency and and the things he did, I read a, read an article uh, in the Financial Times recently that said Harry Truman may be the most powerful human who will have ever lived. You know, he was the only person in charge of all the nuclear weapons on the planet for three or uh no like five years so uh, you you know a lot happened in these guys lives so uh these these smaller events tend to get overlooked and so if you have an event that you can really kind of get really dig into it deep enough you'll you'll find a lot of layers there and and this will again it will tell you a lot about you know the people that you're writing about harry truman's excellent adventure is a Story about a road trip that Harry and Bess Truman take in the summer of 53, right after they left the White House, they drove in their own car, no secret service at that time, no attendance or anything, just drove by themselves to the East Coast and back again. So again, this is, you know, a couple lines in in David McCullough's uh, biography, but it was a story I actually learned about it when I was at the Truman Library and they had a display with Harry's cars in the basement and they had a little newspaper clipping that showed him filling his tank with gas and it was said, happy Harry motoring eastward. And that was the first time I'd, I'd heard about this and it kind of stuck in my head. Um, so it, it, it really didn't deserve that much attention, to be honest, in McCullough's book. But as I went to research it to the places he went and look at local newspapers and, you know, people meeting Harry Truman in 1953 was a pretty big deal. And so he, he interacted with people, ordinary people on an everyday, you know, every day on this trip gas station attendants and waitresses and hotel bellhops and that sort of thing. So it was really fun to research that book and go to the places he went and find people who were still around who remembered meeting Harry Truman in 1953. And the way that Truman, Harry and Bess, I think, behaved on that trip really was a testament to their character. Nobody had a. And the other thing is Harry had a very low uh, approval rating uh, at that time when he left the White House. He it was not very popular at all, uh, mainly because of the Korean war. Um, but the people who met him invariably had a positive experience and he was a very, very, um, I think he was a likable guy. Uh, and he got along with people He related to people, uh, in a, in a positive way. And so, you know, by telling the story of this trip, we're also kind of telling the story of Harry Truman. And then we go back in time and, you know, explain how he became president and Missouri politics and all that. But really... The most fun parts of that book are, I think, when he goes and, you know, Bess orders a plate of cantaloupe at the uh, roadside diner in Pennsylvania somewhere and finding out what happened to it, that sort of thing. So when you're doing the little stories, you're also sort of looking at, uh, you know, all the other characters around that. Um, that was one of the fun things, too, about this book. You know, when when before he, Harry meets Pablo, he has the trip on the, on the um, cruise. He takes a, a boat. Uh, the SS independence, coincidentally, uh, uh, to, uh, to Italy. And and I was able to track down people who were on the boat who had those interactions with him. Um, yeah. So uh, two things, one, it's available really on a practical level. It's a little easier to find the smaller stories. And two, I think you can use the smaller stories to really reveal a lot about the character of the people you're writing.
1: That to me is such a, a really important leadership lesson that you tell through these stories, which is, you know, we often think of these big moments where leaders show up, but how are they showing up in these everyday moments? You know, how do any of us show up in just the sort of regular moments? And many of our chief influencers have told examples about, you know, the way they try to interact with their team and the way they try to listen and, you know, make, empower people to feel involved. And um, it really comes through when you write not just about, the big speech or whatever, but when you write about the interactions on the you, the SS independence or um, at the diner, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about that, what you've observed mm-hmm. or the different leaders that you've written about, and maybe who you've also interacted with.
0: Um, what- yeah, one of the one of the anecdotes I like to tell about Truman is that he 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 would say if he walked into a you know walked into a meeting and looked around the table. And saw all the people there and uh, realized if he was the smartest guy in the room, he knew he was in a lot of trouble. Uh, he, he appreciated the fact that he had his own uh, deficiencies, you know. He was the last president uh, without a college degree, never went to college. Um, he wasn't afraid to make the big decisions, obviously. He made some of the biggest ever. But he also appreciated the fact that he could get, uh, you know, his team uh, was there to work as a team. You know, he was not afraid to be contradicted. Uh, He was not afraid to get information that was not always what he wanted to hear. And I think that's reflected, too, in the way that he interacts with people uh, when he was campaigning for president or after he was president on these trips. Um, He always approached people as an equal. And there's a quote in there, I I think, from um, uh, one of the, of the, the, the couple that accompanied him on the trip uh uh rosenman uh sam rosenman and how sam rosenman had worked for fdr and talked about how fdr never really turned off the president thing you know there was no you always knew fdr was the president when you were with him whereas with truman and when they would do vacation trips to key west and and you see pictures of harry in his bathing suit and that sort of thing that they're that he he was able to to i mean function as an ordinary person, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, Truman was able to able to kind of separate what the president was from what he was. And, you know, sort of by using both of those parts at the same time, which I think is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but he was able to do it, kind of separate those two things. And I think by by doing that, by being able to do that, he could really get the most out of the people that worked for him. And I think could really connect with people on the street in, in a real meaningful way. I think that was, that was a gift. That was a gift that he had. and that obviously helped him you know in his political career. Um, but it, it, it really is something that you, you see presidents have a hard time doing a lot of the time. Um, you know, I think uh, President Trump was somebody that didn't like to hear bad news, right? Who won nobody likes to hear bad news, but when you're in a position of leadership, you need to be able to hear bad news and you need to be able to react to it. And that was something that Truman was able to do. I mean, he came he came to office in bad news. You know, FDR is dead. The guy's right. been president forever. Uh, we have an atomic bomb. We're at war. Um, so his his early presidency was really shaped by him having to receive bad news and, and uh and react to it. So I, I think that that was one of the ways that like he was able to you know connect with people both on the team and and people he met in everyday life
1: yeah you've studied presidents more than probably anybody else I know or have met. and I wonder if you could talk about um, some of the themes that you've noticed about how presidents effectively influence others
0: right um, I think I think really the most important that I've noticed is the way that presidents have embraced technology. And FDR, of course, with the fireside chats, he he realized fairly soon the power that the new medium of radio would have. Um, he could literally speak to every single American at the same time. I mean, this is just a radical, yeah. radical departure from what The presidency had been the presidency was an elevated exalted you didn't never saw the president unless you went to washington and happened to go to an event he was there so he was able to embrace that in a way frankly that herbert hoover was not Uh, hoover of course was president you know from uh he was elected in 28 president from 29 to 33 stock market crashes in 29 you have that period in there, really, where you wonder if Hoover had taken advantage of the medium the way that FDR did after he came into office, whether Hoover might have had a more uh, successful attempt at reelection in 32. Uh, and then you see it, of course, with Kennedy, um, with, the, with the live news conferences, broadcast on television, very, very photogenic. He at the 1960 debates famously was the allowed makeup. To be placed on him, and uh, Richard Nixon did not. And everybody could see Nixon sweating. Um, these are shallow things, but they are things that uh, that you know the, the the people who apprehended them, who understood them, w- were able to uh, exploit, frankly, to to their political advantage. And I think you saw that with President Trump and Twitter and uh, appreciating the fact in social media that he could speak unfiltered. I mean, in a way, it was an FDR technique. What FDR did with radio a hundred years ago, that Trump is doing with social media. You know, it's unmediated his 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 interaction. He just puts it out there. Nobody interprets it. Um, so so those are definitely that that's one of the most important things I would say that I've noticed that that. And not every president has the opportunity to do it. There's not always an earth-shattering technological change when you're president, uh, but when there is, uh, I think a, a president to be an influencer and to be a leader needs to get out ahead of it or yeah. at least ride with it. You know, you don't, you don't have to get to the head of the parade, but at least get toward the front of the parade.
1: Right. Yeah. It's interesting to think about when you even think of these historical figures, how they've embraced, um, technology, you know, and going back radio was a new form of media. Um, I recently was, um, Interviewing somebody from uh, one of the senior folks at the White House. And one of the things they talked about was this balance currently with platforms like TikTok, which are widely used by mm-hmm. people and particularly young people. But that, you know, the government has a position for various reasons that they're not official government accounts. And so the way that they've tried to walk that line is that they will identify top influencers on those platforms and they'll invite them to come to events and make sure that they know what's happening so that Uh, those influencers are the- That is interesting. Yeah, so they get on TikTok, but they're not doing it directly. And it makes me wonder if that third-party validator strategy is something that- Yes,
0: um, yes, yeah, for sure. And and you look at Roosevelt and, and Truman to a lesser extent, you know, courting, uh, political columnists. Um, you know, they had, uh, uh you know, the Washington merry-go-round was a very popular column and all, every, every newspaper had an influential columnist. And so these are the guys that you're, you're trying to, in fact, in the book, one of the things we talk about is, uh, Truman has a bunch of the white house reporters comes in, come in and he, he shows them pictures of these controversial paintings that were in a state department sponsored exhibit. And he's like, that's not modern art, you know, uh, you know, that's scrambled eggs or whatever. Um, so yeah, so th- that's an example, I think of Truman, again, uh, uh, bypassing the filters and speaking right to the, uh, you know, the, the decision makers in the media, uh, to get his point across. A- and so, yeah, that's really interesting about the TikTok and sort of just going to the, to, to the influencers. And I think, you know, there have been influencers by different names throughout history certainly throughout American history, often in the media, uh, traditional media. But those are the people that I think successful politicians and successful leaders have always sought out, Uh, going back to the early colonial newspapers, you know, Benjamin Franklin and the Pennsylvania Gazette. I mean, that's how you would try to influence people was by controlling the message. And I think that's the same way it is today. That's the key.
1: Yeah. You know, controlling that message um, isn't always saying what people want to hear, is no. it? You know that you yeah. um, have said that, that Truman was great at con- communicating with ordinary people in terms they understand, even if it's not what they want to hear. I wonder if you could share right.
0: about that. Yeah. One of my favorite Truman anecdotes is in 1948 when he was running against Dewey. And uh, he would tell people at, at rallies, you know, if Dewey wins, it's going to be your fault. And you're going to regret it. And this is what Dewey's going to do. He's going to hurt the economy. He's going to hurt organized labor, He's going to hurt civil rights, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he, he didn't, he didn't give this pat message that you hear now that, uh, you know, uh, I will make everything great. I mean, he told people, uh, what, you know, what he thought the truth was the quote about, uh, you know, give them hell. Harry, uh, Truman always liked to sell, like to say, uh, I never gave anybody hell. I told them the truth and they thought it was hell. Um, so he he was outspoken in a way I think that you don't see typically of politicians today. I think he was able to speak to people in a more direct way. And again, we go back to his presidency. I mean, you know, in the middle of a war, uh, there will be a lot of bad news that needs to be delivered, and it's hard to sugarcoat, you know, um, you know, some things in a situation like that. And so, I, I think he he learned uh, very early in his presidency anyway that uh, it was easier to just be straight with people and you know suffer the consequences if you had to um but i i think it was again uh you know a a personality type that he had that he was able to do that and that people would rather than being um taken you know aback or offended by it would would actually appreciate the fact that he was being honest with them he gave several speeches that were very very um you know what we would call oh i don't know um you know, announcing the the, the war in Korea. Um, I, these are these are not things that people want to hear. You know, they're 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 hard to hear, and so that's an important part of it too. I mean, being able to deliver bad news is is a gift in itself, I guess, and it's something that uh, you know people don't like to do. You go back to this thing, like, well, everything you you do when you're president is not going to be something you like to do, and I think it's probably that way. And people in any position of leadership, you know, you have to understand that. Sometimes you will have to convey bad news. You have to give bad orders. You have to tell people to do things they don't want to do. And again, Truman was able to get people to do things, uh, even if they didn't want to do them, because he had developed a kind of trust with them and was able to hear their viewpoint. And then in the end, he would decide. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's hard, to, hard to deliver bad news, uh, but good if you can do it well.
1: Yeah, what you just said about trust. I think is really important. Um, when I, you know, was thinking about some of the, the takeaways of of your work, I was thinking this idea that you can really see who people are in these small moments. Number one, and you, I mean, find folks who I, I think, how do you possibly find these people who were in this place, you know, decades and decades ago? But you you do it, which we should talk about. And then the other is um, the importance of a leader to build trust so that they can influence. You can't really influence very well without having trust. Right. And that what you just shared about, you have to be willing to, to tell people bad news and things they don't want to hear sometimes to build that trust. If you just always tell people what they want to hear, then that's not necessarily going to um, build that that trust relationship.
0: Yeah. I think it's really in in contemporary American politics, it's probably the one missing ingredient is the trust. Um, I think each side, for lack of a better word, uh, mistrusts the other side, um, questions, their motives, uh, you know, questions, their agenda. And even as recently, I think as, you know, 20, 25 years ago, this was much less obvious in American politics that, uh, if, uh, if somebody won an election that you, um, you know, you, you accepted that and you accepted that what that person wanted to do was in the best interest as they saw it of the country. So I think a lot of that, you know, having that, that trust is, is, is very important, you know, to, to building relationships uh, within, in politics, in business and in communities. And I think without that, it's, it's impossible to, to get people to, to motivate people really, um, to do things that, you know, you want them to do. I mean, much less things that they don't want to do. Um, it's, it's really a tough question, you know, because I'm sure I know there are people, there are groups who have never trusted the American government uh, and rightfully so, um and so when you see the level of trust deteriorating to the extent it is now you really wonder how you can build that back up i would say you know the one thing to be learned from this is that it's much easier to lose trust than it is to gain trust uh i went to college and my brother said do really good in your first semester because it's easier to easier to let your you know your grade your gpa dropped to something worthwhile than to raise it to something worthwhile you know it's and trust works the same way i mean it's it's something that it's it's really it's a it's a kind of capital that's hard to you know hard to accumulate
1: well when you think about the photo of truman with picasso um it makes me wonder you know, he was, he was willing to meet with somebody he disagreed with. And then, you know, still afterward was publicly disagreed with, um, his work, but, um, you know, did he, would he lose trust or would he worry about losing trust from some of his supporters or constituency for doing that versus today, yeah. if you're pictured with somebody who's totally on the other end, would that cause you to lose mm-hmm. trust with some of your mm-hmm. supporters and constituents? So has that environment changed?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I hate it when people say that's a good question, but that is a good question. Uh, you know, I think, and again, Truman is, is kind of what I've got on my brain right now, um, and, and, and really the one president I, I, I feel like I know best. Um, he did a couple things when he was president that really upset the base, so to speak, integrating the armed forces uh, 75 years ago. Was something that you know at the time southern whites uh were overwhelmingly democratic and so when he did that that alienated a large portion of that of that block uh so i guess i'd say he he was willing to you know to risk that for something that he felt was worthwhile you know i think he wasn't willing you know, to sacrifice his own moral compass, you know, on the altar of political expedience. I think he made very difficult choices in his uh, political career, especially as president, that, um, you know, cost him votes. I mean, this is why one reason the 1948 election was so very, very close and was widely expected he would not win. Um, but of course he did barely. But I think you know he he understood that sometimes you're you're going to you know um, you're going to upset the base. I think you see it a little bit today, even with uh, you know there's an interesting op-ed George W. Bush had in the uh, in the Post just in the past couple of days talking about PEPFAR, the President's Emergency uh, Program for AIDS Relief in Africa, which uh, George W. Bush administration started in 2000. Three, I think, um, and now you see that—that uh, that really, I think, alienated a lot of uh, Republicans, especially the MAGA Republican types, um, who see that as just an extravagant and unnecessary waste of money to send money to help people with AIDS in Africa. Um, but I think Bush really felt that that was something that was a moral imperative, you know, for him and for the country at a time. So he was willing to do that at the sacrifice of you know, of some some of his political base. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult choice, you know, it's like Ron DeSantis not meeting with Biden. You know, on the one hand, you can disparage his his character. Uh I think it's easy to do. Uh on the other hand, you know, he's these are political considerations and you know, he's so worried about what a photograph of him shaking hands with Biden could do to his effort to win the presidency. And so I would say that's not a, that's not a great moral failing necessarily. Now, if he refused federal government aid to rebuild Florida, uh, to make a political point that would be, and, uh, so far that hasn't happened, which is interesting <laughs> federal when the federal government starts giving you money, uh, you tend to take it, whatever your, uh, you know, stripes are. Matthew, um, one
1: thing I have to ask before we we wrap up is, so you are so gifted at tracking people down, obviously. I mean, it's just the people you find, like a little kid who was on the cruise, who's now an adult that, uh, or on the, you know, ocean liner that remembers their family legend more about taking a photo with President Truman. It's so, so I'd, I'd love to just kind of hear about your way to do that. But I have to, but the one thing you could not crack into was you could not get into that Picasso home. And I just, right,
0: you're right. Gonna,
1: are you going to, maybe after the book comes out?
0: M- yeah. Are you, are maybe if they make a movie out of it, maybe they'll finally uh, answer my letters. So I was able to get, uh, addresses, um, people that I interviewed who did know them, um, gave me some good addresses and i found really writing letters in the u.s mail is a good way to get people to uh to respond to you i think people are kind of more responsive that way you can also include like a you know i'll include a little bio of myself or something just to explain who i am uh but yeah uh two uh was a picasso stepdaughter and a picasso daughter that i was hoping to because they, they were probably the only people still around who were in the room, possibly, uh, when Harry and uh, Pablo met up. But uh, the Picasso circle is a tough one to crack. Yeah. Gotta, you know, just go up and ring the doorbell. Now yeah. you find some random, random eight-year-old from 1958 who is now, what, 72, 73. And you write them a letter and say, hey, do you remember meeting Harry Truman? Uh, yeah. Those people you find are definitely willing to talk with you. This is not a controversial a subject Facebook matter. Like yeah. And uh especially if they have now, if it's John Smith, that's a lot harder. Um, but if they have a name that's not as common, you can often track them down. I didn't track down a couple through Facebook. And uh it's the kind of thing that, of course, it's like with Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure, when you find the waitress or the cop who waited outside his room, it's People would love to talk about this stuff. Yeah. That time I met Harry Truman, yes, of course I remember that. This is yeah, everything re- about it. Yeah, you're not. You're not. It's not like uh, you know, 60 minutes coming in for an investigative report. So I, I'm. I'm lucky that most of the stuff that I work on, uh, people people are happy to talk about it. It's usually a good memory in their lives.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think it's just a great um, sort of lesson for us to close on. Right, this moment that for. The leader for Truman. Yes. Yeah. It's a fleeting moment, right? That they can't, you know, every time they get a picture. For someone else on the other end of that equation, that becomes a story that they tell everybody in their family, in their friend circle. Um, and so how that leader shows up, whether they're friendly and engaging or whether they're dismissive, has a huge ripple effect and something that I think is really a testament to the work you do is tracking down all of those folks. You get a real clear picture and a texture about what this leader is like and how they influence others um, that goes so much deeper and much beyond what just a key moment. You know, somebody can be great in a speech, but not necessarily show up that way. And you really paint a picture. Right.
0: Of that. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think one of the cool things is that with these stories, you know, they're not so far in the past. Uh, obviously, Harry Truman's been dead for 50 years. We can't interview him, but you could still talk to people who met him. You could st- still talk to people who knew him. It's not that far removed. And uh, Harry always said, you know, why, why somebody asked him, how can you sign all these autographs everywhere you go? And people want to take pictures. And, and Harry would say, you know, I just, I know what it would feel like to have a big shot. Ignore me. Um, and so he really took that to heart. He knew that when he was having these encounters with people, uh, they would be one of the most memorable things in their lives. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, Harry loved it. He was definitely a people person. You know, he loved being out there and being recognized. He would, he would pretend to hate it, but I think he really liked it. And so that was another part of his personality that, uh, uh, that was fortunate for the, for the line of work he chose.
1: Yeah, that's, well, that's great. I highly encourage everyone to... Get their copy of When Harry Met Pablo. And if you haven't read Matthew's other books, Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure is a really great one to start with. One of my favorites. Matthew, where else can folks find you? Um,
0: I have a website. It is malgeo.net. M-A-L-G-E-O dot net. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram at Matthew Algey. Great.
1: Thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you, Anthony. It was really enjoyable. I love the podcast. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a Chief Influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.